If you've got a Bible with you this morning, go to the book of John, chapter 10. Well, I'll tell you what, you go to Romans 7. We got a bunch of scripture to look at today, so we're going to move through it pretty quickly. You go to Romans 7, and we'll put some of these verses on the screen for you. John chapter 10, verse 10, these words of Jesus are our word for this year and for beyond. We believe that 2021 is the beginning of life more abundantly for us, for our church, for anybody who will take that word and believe it. And that is found here in the book of John, chapter 10, verse 10. And and the reason I'm, help me, Lord, I, I, I make mention of that and we talk about it week after week after week. Anytime somebody says, I got a word for you, Or anytime somebody stands on a platform and says, thus says the Lord, you don't need to just automatically accept that. You need to test it. You need to listen and you need to listen to it and you need to listen for the spirit of God in it. Does that sound like the same spirit that wrote these words? And you need to look for the word of God in it. Somebody comes up to you and says, I've got a word. You need to do this. You need to go here. You need to do that. You need to marry this one. You need to invest over here. Hold on a second. Slow your roll a bit. You need to test that and say, well, where's the scripture? Hmm? Because you've got the spirit of God in you. And you know him and are getting to know him better and better and better. And you don't need to just swallow everything whole that comes your way just because somebody said, thus saith the Lord. Just because they talk like Elizabethan King James doesn't mean it came from God. You need to listen for the scripture. Take it back to the word of God. So our word for this year, the beginning of life more abundantly, I didn't make that up. That's something Jesus said a long time ago. He said in John 10, 10, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. We've looked at other translations. The Amplified Bible talks about having life to the full till it overflows. That's the kind of life Jesus came to give us. The New Living Translation talks about Jesus and his purpose in coming was to give us a rich and satisfying life. Man, there's some religious religious spirits and religious people that do not like that. And honestly, if it wasn't written in red, I'd have a hard time with it. But Jesus said it. My purpose in coming was so that they'd have a rich and satisfying life. Now, you may need some redefining of the word rich. You may need some renewal of your mind as to what that actually means. You may need some redefining of what it actually means to be satisfied and change what you think will satisfy you. But you let him define it and you let the word define it and you'll find out what it means to really, truly be rich. To what it means to really, truly live satisfied. And again, I'll remind you, Jesus said these words and he said them to people and every one of them had a heartbeat. Every one of them were alive, so to speak. But what he's revealing is there's more to living than just a heart beating in your chest. 
There's more life available to you. Somebody say more life. And people live this whole life knowing that on the inside, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. Have you ever heard somebody say that? There has got to be more. You want to know why they say that? There's more. There's more available. But what you and I have to know is where do you find it? Where do you go to get it? Because people are searching in every other place but the right place. They're looking for satisfaction. They're looking for it in material things. They're looking for it in, in, in relationships. They're looking for it in, in, in drugs. They're looking for it in alcohol. They're looking for it in sex. They're looking for it in every other place but the one place they're going to find it. Satisfaction's found in one place and in one place only. And it's in God. It's in his love. It's in his word. But you got to know to look there. Jesus said, I came that you'd have life, have it more abundantly. We've been looking at this verse in John chapter six. What he said in verse 63, he said, it's the spirit who gives life. So he's answering this question. Where do you go to get the life? What's the source of the flow of this life? It's the spirit who gives life. Notice these words again. The flesh profits how much? Nothing. The flesh profits nothing. Then he said, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. Where do you go to get this life? You go to the word. The word of God is life. The word of God is alive. We've talked about that some already today. I was going back and looking over the last number of weeks that we've been dealing with this and, and we've been in a series. I don't even know that I told you that, but in my own mind, and as we've recorded it, we've been in a series called life more abundantly. And I think this is part eight of that. And uh, if you've missed any of it, we make them available on the website and the podcast, and we want you to get a hold of these things. And even, even if you heard them the first time, hear it again and hear it again and hear it again. And I was going back through everything we've dealt with so far. And what I didn't realize and really didn't even intend to do was get into the things that I believe define us as a body of believers. We've talked about this, this life more abundantly, but talking about where it's found, you go all the way back to, I think, December of last year, we started talking about how connected that the life of God was and is to knowing his voice. And what Jesus said there in John 10, 10, check this out, came right after John 10, one through nine. I know that's deep, but it's the truth. You know what John 10, one through nine was all about? My sheep know my voice and a stranger's voice they will not follow. So there is this inseparable connection between knowing his voice and life more abundantly. This is a major part of who we are as a church. We believe God talks. We believe we can hear him. We believe we can understand him. And we believe we can be led by that voice and we don't have to follow every other voice. That's a big thing. That's a definitive thing because not everybody else believes that. And you'll find that out when you tell them you believe that and they look at you and go, you crazy. You talk to God and he talks back. Yeah. Well, you know that this is something that makes you who you are. 
when it so stands out in the rest of this world. We talked about the connection between hearing his voice and, and an abundant life, the connection between abundant life and, and, and friendship and fellowship with God. Jesus said, this is life eternal, that they would know you and know Jesus Christ whom you sent. That's life. Life can't be measured in any other way. You don't know how much life you're living by looking at a bank account. You don't know how much life you're li living by looking at the size of a house, whether it's big or small. That's not an indicator to how much life you're living. You don't know how much life you're living based on the brand name sewn into the back of the clothes you wear or the emblem on the hood of your car. None of those things can indicate to you how much life you have. Life is measured in knowing him. Life is measured in knowing him. And Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, you're a fool. If you, I'll paraphrase here, amass a bunch of stuff without being rich in your relationship with God. Rich in your relationship with God. There's an inseparable connection between your friendship and fellowship with him and life more abundantly. We've talked about the, the authority of the written word of God. This is a big thing about who we are. This is a major thing that defines this church. And if you're going to be a part of this church, then you better get used to this because we hold the word of God in a very high esteem. We honor his word above any other word. We honor his word above the word of any other professional. We honor his word above the word of anybody else's experience. We honor his word. We give his word first place. We give his word first word, last word, every word in between. We let his word determine our expectation in this life. And again, this ain't normal. This is not normal, but it's who we are. It's who we are. There's an inseparable connection between an honor for the word of God and living life more abundantly. Amen. Amen? Yes. We talked about how there's, there's healing and there's medicine in his word. The only thing sickness is in your body is a lack of life and, and an influx and an increase and an overflow of that life can take care of sickness like that, man. So easy, so simple. And his words are medicine. And when you attend to his word and you keep them in front of your eyes and you incline your ear to his saying and you keep them in the midst of your heart, they'll be life. They'll be what? Life to those that find them and health to all their flesh. And over the last couple of weeks, We've been looking specifically at what Jesus said here in John 6. It's the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits. Again, how much is it? You need to get that in your heart today. The flesh profits. It benefits. It's, it's of no value. It benefits you nothing. It's not doing anything to help you. It's not doing anything for you. If anything, if you're living by the flesh and thinking by the flesh and acting on behalf of the flesh, it's hurting you. It's hindering you. It's holding you back. Jesus said, it's the spirit that gives life and the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit 
and they are life. And then in John chapter three, I want to keep going with this today, this difference between the spirit and the flesh. We looked at John four. You may remember this last week in the woman at the well. You remember that? How Jesus sat down and said, give me a drink. And she said, why are you a, a Jew talking to me, a Samaritan? We don't, we're not supposed to have anything to do with each other. And Jesus said, yeah, but if you knew, if you knew who it was who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked of him living water and he would have given you. And the woman said to him, sir, you know, this well's deep. You don't have anything to draw with. She's thinking flesh. He's talking spirit. And that's why it's not making sense to her. And he kept talking to her about it. He kept, it's almost like Jesus is laying out some breadcrumbs here, just trying to lead her to truth, lead her to revelation. Come on, give me some faith. Just put a little faith. I can work with a little bit of faith. And every time he said something to her about living water, about it springing up on the inside of her, she said, where are you going to draw this water? Okay, if you got it, I'll take it. That way I don't have to come to this well and drink anymore. He's talking spirit. She's thinking flesh. And that's when he finally took another approach with her, right? The, the water thing doesn't seem to be working. Let's try this. Go call your husband and come here. And she said, I don't have one. He said, you're right. You've had five of them. <laughs> and the guy you're with now is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. You remember what she said? Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. <laughs> I don't guess she'd be stroking a beard, would she? <laughs> that, that's... I don't know, Samaritan women, I don't know. <laughs> I perceive, she said, you're a prophet. And that's what happens when a little bit of light gets shown and people, their, their past or their failings or whatever come out. When, when the flesh gets some light shined on it, they immediately try, but it's all in the flesh to look spiritual, sound spiritual, but it's still all just in the flesh. And she wants to argue with him about where we're supposed to worship. You say you're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. We say on this mountain. And Jesus answers her. It's like there's no argument, you know. He says, look, the Father's looking for people, not those who will squabble over the location of where they worship, but where their worship comes from. He said, the Father's looking for people who will worship how? In spirit and in truth. That's what God was looking for. You know, we really didn't take time to finish the whole story uh, last week. And it's a pretty miraculous, marvelous story because she looks back at him after he gives her not just a answer, the right answer. She's still wanting to fight with him. And she says, this is what she says to Jesus. She says, well, the Messiah is coming. Is that funny to anybody else? Yeah. Here's somebody who's got enough church history to, to perceive he's a prophet, to know these are denominational lines between us that we don't cross, to, to talk about doctrines on where to worship, and even enough church history to say, hey, the Messiah's coming. It's astounding to me that somebody with all of that, even claiming to be looking for the Messiah, could be looking at him right in the eye 
and have no idea who she's talking to. How is that even possible? Because as long as you look through the flesh, you'll never find him. You'll never see him. And we know from everything she said, it's all flesh. It's all flesh. I know the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he'll tell us all things. In other words, well, you have your opinion, preacher. We have ours. The Messiah is coming and he'll let us know who, probably me, is right. <laughs> and finally, Jesus looks at her and says, I who speak to you am he. And it's one thing to look at her and, and even laugh about it, but we need to take a pretty cold, hard look at ourselves and ask, is it possible that we've been face to face, that we've been in the presence of Jesus and had no idea? I mean, if he came walking through this room, we know from the book of Revelation, he came to church it says he came walking through their church. Jesus comes to church. And the churches that he walked through didn't recognize him, didn't see him. Would you? Now, I know we like to think we would. Oh, yeah, I know him. I, I know him. I've read his book. I've seen his movie. I recognize that, that robe and the, the hair and the beard. I, I know him anywhere. That's after the flesh. That's looking after the flesh. And if we don't learn to look in and through and by and after the spirit, we'll never recognize him. Flesh profits nothing, but there's life in the spirit. So that was the rest of her story. She goes on from there. She becomes basically this evangelist for the entire city that she lives in. And she says, come see a man who told me everything I ever done. Could this be the one we're looking for? And that whole city came out and they heard him and they saw him and they looked at her and said, we came out because you said it, but now we believe because we've seen for ourselves. This woman who was in the flesh and had this scandalous past met and found total redemption, became an evangelist, got a whole city born again. Thank you, Lord. It's powerful to get in the spirit. But in John chapter three, in verse one, it says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. I love how Jesus answers him. Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus comes and wants to talk about all the signs that Jesus did. Oh, we know you're from God. This is, this is classic Jesus right here. He's not, he's not steered in conversation by somebody else. He's going to say what he hears the father say. And he responds to it and says, yeah, okay. Well, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Say those words, born again. Born again. Now, try to pretend that you and I don't have 2,000 years, the luxury of, of 2,000 years of understanding of what born again means. I can say that in here, and, and just about everybody in here understands the concept of that. This is perhaps the first time anybody's ever heard those words, born again. So you can see verse 4, Nicodemus says to him, how can a man be born when he's old? What's going on here? 
Jesus is talking spirit. Nicodemus is hearing flesh. So I don't care if it's a rabbi talking to him or a woman who's had a horrible past. We all have flesh to deal with. Every one of us have flesh we have to deal with. He said, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born again? No, Nicodemus. Gosh, man, no. And even if you could, no, man, don't. Just come on, come on. Get in the spirit, brother. You got to get out of the flesh. And Jesus said, most most assuredly, verse five, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now listen to verse six. That which is born of the flesh is what? Is flesh. That's not deep. That's not so profound that it's hard to understand. If it's born of the flesh, it's flesh. But then he said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and which is born of the spirit is spirit. If it's born of the flesh, it's flesh. If it's born of the spirit, it's what? Spirit. Don't take time to look at these, but let me just give you a few verses here. Out of the book of 1 John. The Lord had me reading 1 John a number of weeks ago and reading it 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John every day, every day, every day. And I did, and as I did, this one phrase began standing out to me over and over again. Listen to this. 1 John 3, 9 says, Whoever has been born of God. Say that, born of God. Whoever's been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him and he cannot sin. Because he's been born of God. Say it again. Born of God. 1 John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God. And he knows God. Chapter 5, verse 1 says, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ, or believes that Jesus is the Christ, is born of God, and everyone who loves him, who begot also loves him, who's begotten of him. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is what? Born of God. You keep hearing it, don't you? Over and over. Born of God. Born of God. Chapter 5, verse 4 says, Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Whatever's born of God overcomes the world. Then then, uh, chapter 5, verse 18 says, We know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. I wanted you to hear this over and over. Born of God, born of God. I don't think we've appreciated enough the fact that that's us, that we are born of God. But you got to understand right at the same time that you were a while back also born of flesh. We all were. And if you weren't, then you from somewhere else. Um, I don't know what to do with you unless you were born of flesh, unless you came into this world the way the rest of us did you from somewhere else. But I have a feeling that everybody, at least everybody in this room and watching online today is born 
of the flesh. I think it was the, let's see, the uh, New Living Translation of that in John 3 says, humans can reproduce only human life. Whatever's born of the flesh is flesh. Justice, James Pearsons, and Jesse Grace Pearsons, our two children, are born or were born of Sarah and Jeremy. That means that our life gave life to their life. They are born of us. They come from us. And if you've got children, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That human life in you reproduced and produced more human life. And we all came that way. But Jesus said whatever's born of flesh is what? Is flesh. He said, you've got to be born again. Not just born of the flesh. You've also got to be born of God. Born of His Spirit. Now this flesh nature, this part of you didn't get reborn. It's the same flesh you had before you were born again. Before you made Jesus the Lord of your life. This is the same stuff. It didn't get recreated. It was the spirit on the inside of you, the real you, who you really are. That's what went from death to life. That's what came alive unto God. And the scripture that we looked at there in 1 John said, his seed is in you. You are born of him. That means his DNA is in you. His life is in you. His characteristics, how he thinks and what he does, that's somewhere in here. Now you still got all this flesh stuff. I still got all this flesh stuff, but here's where we're different from the rest of this world. We've also got a spirit that's alive unto God. We've also got this spirit that is born of God. We've got another source of life. We've got his life giving life to our life. And if you've got kids like we do, you've done the same thing we've done. We look at them and sometimes they say something or they do something and Sarah will look at Justice and he'll do something. She goes, that's your daddy. That is your daddy right there. Look at them toes. Those are your daddy's toes. Or Jesse will do something and people tell her all the time, you look just like your mama. You are her little mini me. You look just like her. Oh my goodness, look at that. Well, why is that? Because they're born of us. They've got our life in them. Well, you're born of God, which means you've got a measure of his life in you, born into you. Now, the flesh stuff, in case you didn't know this already, it's not doing you any favors. It produces nothing. It's profitable for nothing. So to think according to the flesh and live according to the flesh and walk according to the flesh, it's not doing anything. Life is over here in the spirit. The scripture deals with this so much that you and I have got to take the time to learn to distinguish between the two. What is spirit and what is flesh? What was God and what was just me? We've got to learn to recognize it. And if you go back and look at these verses we looked at in 1 John, we see what's born of God. He says, whoever, whoever uh, has been born of God doesn't sin. So 
The scripture says if you know to, good, to do good and you don't do it, that's sin. What part of you committed sin? Huh? It was the flesh. It wasn't your spirit that did that. Your spirit's alive unto God. Who you really are is, is, is clean and righteous and has been and is being continually washed by the blood of Jesus. So when you sin and you miss the mark and you fail like we all have, you need to recognize, wait a second, that was my flesh. That was my flesh that did that because my spirit is born of God. So when you don't sin, when you're tempted to and you don't, what part of you was strong enough to overcome? That's the spirit. Somebody say, that's the spirit. Come on, say it like that. That's the spirit. That's what this message is today. That's the spirit. Learning to recognize the spirit and the flesh and the difference between them. He also said there in 1 John, beloved, let us love one another. For whoever loves is born of God. So when you're acting like a fool and you fly off the handle and you lose your temper, huh? And you say some things you shouldn't have said, what part of you did that? That's the flesh. And it would do you and I some good to, to call it and to even say it out loud if you're in a place where you can. Hey, wait, hey, that was the flesh. See, I've been meditating on some of this for about a week now, and I just keep finding myself recognizing some thoughts or even some words or getting in conversations and wait a second, nope, that's the flesh. That's the flesh. And if you will acknowledge it out loud, you'll suck the power out of it. Nope, that's the flesh. I'm not yielding to that. But he said right here, on the other hand, when you love, what part of you did that? That's the spirit. It's the spirit of love. It's the spirit of love that held your tongue instead of just saying those words that came to your mind. It's that love working in you that just was calm and cool and collected. It's love working in you when they cut you off in traffic and you didn't do a thing about it. That's love working. Well, what part of you did that? The spirit. He talked in, in those scriptures in verse in uh, first John about uh, whoever's born of God has overcome the world. What part of you is world overcoming? That's the spirit. But what part of you falters and fails? That's the flesh. Learn to recognize that. No, no, that was the flesh. That's not me. That's not me. We've got to learn to recognize the difference and call it. And say it out loud, that's the flesh, that's the spirit. And what you got to understand is there are two yous. Every one of us, born of the flesh. And if you've made Jesus your Lord, you're also born of the spirit. And the flesh is talking and the spirit's talking. Now, if I brought somebody else up on this platform and they stood right here next to me, and I said, okay, you go ahead and talk. And they began talking. And I started talking at the same time. But I have a microphone. And they don't. Which one are you going to hear? Yeah. 
Oh, you might hear a little something out of this guy over here. But if I stand here and I talk to you like this because I've got a microphone, somebody whose voice is not amplified, somebody whose voice is not magnified, you are going to hear the one who's the loudest, right? Spirit's talking, flesh is talking. You get to decide who gets the mic. You get to decide which one you're going to give the microphone to. And when you hand the mic to the flesh, the spirit's still standing here talking, saying, come on, let's go this way. Let's do, oh, don't say that. Don't say that. And the flesh is going, let us say with loud voice what we think and what we feel and say it now. Come on, man. Don't hold back. Don't hold back. Get it out. <laughs> and if that's the voice with the microphone, guess what you're about to do? Just let it fly. But there's something about the flesh that I don't think we've fully understood. We've known that the flesh, to, to put it in probably overly simple terms, the flesh is the part that wants to do something bad. The flesh is the part that, that does bad things or says bad things. And there, there's some truth to that. I mean, the scripture talks about uh, a man being tempted and drawn away by his own desires, this unregenerated, unborn again flesh, man, it's still got that old man in it. But for the believer, for the person who, who genuinely loves God and, and wants to do with their life what God created them to do and wants to walk by faith and fulfill his plan and finish their race and, and run their race and finish the course, then if you're honest about it, you desire to do good. There's an inborn desire in you now because you've been born of God. There's an inborn thing in you that desires good, that wants to do good. But the flesh is not just simply the part of you that wants to do bad. The flesh is the part of you that actually wants to do good, but has no power to do it. I should maybe say it to you like this. It's the spirit in you that wills to do good, but when you look to the flesh for the strength to do it, you fall every time. You fail every time. It's sort of like hearing somebody preach to you on walking in love. It's like we're talking something about right now. Now, walking in love, walking in love, being good and being kind and being patient with your family, your wife, your husband, your kids, the people you walk, work, work with, walk in love, walk in love, walk in love. And that's a good word. But if you hear that and man, you get convicted and you think, man, you're right. I got to be walking in love. I shouldn't have said what I did. I shouldn't have said it the way I did. I flew off the handle. I lost my temper. Okay. Okay, Jeremy. No more of that. Don't do bad, Jeremy. Don't do that anymore. You hear me? You're going to, you start in tomorrow morning. You're going to walk in love, walk in love, walk in love. Come on, walk in love, walk in love, walk in love, walk in love, walk in love. Dead gummit, walk in love. I'm about to be the biggest jerk I've ever been. Why? Huh? Because I'm taking what my spirit wills to do and look into my flesh for the strength to do it. And it's not going to work. It's not going to work. About 40 minutes ago, I asked you to find Romans 7. Did you do that yet? 
Romans chapter 7, this is actually such good news. We're about to read and find out that this same tug of war, the same thing that I've dealt with and you've dealt with, this, this will to do good and no strength to do it, we're not the only one. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, you're not the only one. Who else? We're going to read about a man named Paul. This guy who the Spirit of God used to pen most of the New Testament had this same tug of war going on in him. He said in verse 15, we're going to have to read several verses here, but he said, how many times have you said this before? Verse 15, what I'm doing, I do not understand. <laughs> Come on, be honest. Who has said that before? What I'm doing, I don't get it. What is the matter with me? I want to do it right. I want to stop missing it. I want to stop failing every time. I want to quit making that same stupid mistake and quit sinning in the same stupid way over and over. But I keep doing it. I don't get it. Yeah. You ever ask yourself, what is wrong with me? Well, you got flesh. You've got flesh. Paul had flesh. I got flesh. Jesus had flesh. But he was a perfect example of how to crucify it and not have to live according to the dictates of the flesh. But Paul's wrestling with it here. He said in verse 15, what I'm doing, I don't understand. For what I will to do, that I don't practice. But what I hate, that's what I end up doing. It's quiet in here, but I know there's a bunch of you. I know it's me. I know every one of us have been right there. I want to do this and I don't do it. I don't want to do that. And I end up doing it every time. What is wrong with me? That's what he's asking. He said in verse 16, if then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it's good, but now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, now listen to this distinction, that is in my flesh. In me, but he's being specific here, in the flesh side, in the flesh, in the part of me that was born of flesh, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. Does that sound like what Jesus said? The flesh profits nothing? In the flesh part of me, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I don't find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil that I will not to do, that I practice, that I end up doing. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. He's saying it's that flesh side of me. What's he doing? He's calling it out loud. When I do something that I didn't will to do, I, the desire wasn't there, but I got pulled into it. That's the flesh pointing at it, calling it out loud. That's the flesh. And he said in verse 21, I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of, go in, in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Listen to him. Oh, wretched man that I am. He's kind of being hard on himself here. 
Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? This is a real struggle. You ever heard anybody say that? The struggle is real. This one was real. It was his. It's been mine. It's been yours. Everybody knows this struggle all too well. Because you're born again, there's a spirit in you, God's spirit, that gave life to you and the will to do good. The will to fulfill the plan of God, man, that is in you. I don't even know how a better way to get that across to you. That's who you are. This, this flesh isn't who you are now. It's the spirit that's alive unto God. And yet, you still got this flesh to deal with. And he said there's a war. I think of it like a tug of war. Did you ever play tug of war as a kid? You get two teams lined up on either side and one's pulling this way and another's pulling this way. You got spirit and you got flesh. But you get to decide which one gets fed. You get to decide which one is loudest. You get to decide which one gets stronger and stronger and which one gets weaker and weaker. But you have to remember this, the flesh is weak. It's weak. He said, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I love verse 25. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's who. What was his question? Who's going to deliver me from this body of death? Jesus is. Jesus will. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, so that with the mind... I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. You got to connect it to chapter 8, verse 1. The best news you've heard all day. There is, therefore, now, say it with me, no condemnation. See, that's, that's Satan's whole goal with this flesh side. Get you roped into stuff. So that as soon as you do it and as soon as you say it and as soon as you miss that mark again, he can turn right around and beat you over the head with it. But the good news is there is, therefore, right now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, every time you see the word flesh in these next few verses, say it out loud. Every time you see the word spirit, say it out loud. He said, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the, but according to the spirit for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death for what the law could not do uh, in that it was weak through the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the, but according to the, see, you get to decide which one you walk according to. This is your choice for those. He said in verse five, who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the, but those who live according to the spirit, set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to be carnally, or you could say to be fleshly minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is what? It's what? It's what? Life. 
It's life. I came that you'd have life and have it more abundantly. Okay, Jesus, how do I get it? How do I access it? You got to get the spirit things on your mind. Because to be fleshly, carnally minded is nothing but death. But to be spiritually minded is life. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Here's the good news, though. You're not in the flesh. Yeah, I know you got some of it, but you're not in it. You don't have to let it control you anymore. You got this other thing you've been born of. You've been born of the spirit. You're not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he's not his. And if Christ is in you, the body, the flesh is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we're debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit, here's how you do it. If by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will die live. Where's life found? It's not in the flesh. It's in the spirit. You will live, he said, for as many as are led by the spirit of God. These are the sons of God. This is us. This is who we are. We're led by his spirit. He said, those who are led by the spirit, these are the sons of God. In other words, these, this is a defining characteristic of people who've been born of God. Isn't that what sons of God means? You've been born of God. My son was born of Sarah and I, you're a son of God. You were born of him. How do we know that you're led not by your flesh, but by your spirit. We say this together. Week after week, we're in the right place, at the right time, doing the right thing with the right people. How do you end up in that place day after day, huh? The Spirit will lead you there. Well, if the Spirit that is life and the Spirit that gives life is leading you, where do you think He's leading you to? More life. More and more and more life. Led by the Spirit. But here's the thing. Your feet are just following what's on your mind. So how do, we, how do we be led by the Spirit? Well, you take a step back. You think. You set your mind on the things of the Spirit, not the things of the flesh. Set your mind on the things of the Spirit, and you'll be led by the Spirit. Well, how do you get the things of the Spirit on your mind? Pray in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit will cause you to think in the spirit. And if you will think in the spirit, it will cause you to walk in the spirit. But it starts back here with praying, praying in the spirit, praying in the Holy Ghost. I'll read you this last scripture and then we'll begin to wrap up. Galatians chapter five. Musicians, if you guys want to begin to come, you can. Galatians chapter five. 
It says in verse 19, well, back up to verse 16. He said, I say then, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things you wish. Doesn't that sound like Romans 7? There's this tug of war going on and you end up doing the thing you didn't wish to do because you walked according to the flesh. He said, listen, the way out of that, walk in the spirit. How you walk in the spirit? Think in the spirit. How do you think in the spirit? Pray in the spirit. He said, if you are led by the spirit, verse 18, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. The works of the flesh. Again, what is the flesh? It's not just the part of you that wants to do bad. It's the part of you that tries to do good without the strength to do it. He said the works of the flesh try. And, and he was writing to people, this Galatian church. These are people that heard the message that Paul preached. And then somebody else came along and said, yeah, but you need the law too. You got to go back to fulfilling the law. And he said, that's the works of the flesh. He said, you go back to that. Listen to what your flesh is going to produce when you try to look to the arm and the strength of the flesh to cause you to do good. Look at what it's going to produce. That law that says don't, don't covet your neighbor's wife. Look what the flesh is going to produce. Fornication. The flesh will do that. Because if you're looking to the flesh to keep you faithful in your marriage, you won't be. That strength comes from the spirit. Faithfulness, you're going to see here in a second, is a fruit of the spirit. He said, the works of the flesh are evident. He said, um, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and of the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is the life that comes out of looking to the flesh to do what only the spirit can strengthen you to do. And if you're not praying in the spirit, then you're not thinking in the spirit. You're thinking in the flesh. And if you're thinking in the flesh, you're walking according to the lust of the flesh. I like the way the message translation says it. He says, it's obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. Frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. Trinket gods, magic show religion. Paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition. Hmm? Cutthroat competition. Would the Spirit lead you into competition like that? Huh? Would the Spirit of God ever lead you into unfaithfulness to your spouse? Would the Spirit of God ever lead you in, in, into cheating? Would the Spirit of God ever lead you into any of these things? Well, if it's not the Spirit of God leading you into that, and yet the pressure's on you, and it's on your mind, and you start walking that, what do you need to do? Stop out loud, or, or stop right where you are, say out loud, point to it, and say what? That's the flesh. That's not me. Amen. That's right. 
We tell this to our children, to Justice and Jesse. Anytime they get, you know, where an attitude needs to be adjusted or something like that, or we look at them and say, hey, you know that thing you said to your sister, that thing you said to your brother, the way you said that, we say to them, that wasn't you. That's not you. Justice, you're a man of love. Jesse, you got the spirit of love on the inside of you, and the spirit of God has shed abroad in your heart. The love of God by the Holy Ghost. That's who you are. When you remind yourself all the time, no, that's the flesh. That ain't me. That's just this old, that's a dead man walking. This is who I am. Hmm? And that's why he gets into this. In verse 21, 22, he said, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Crucify the flesh. Is it fun? Uh Uh-uh. Must we do it all the time? Crucify this flesh. Paul said it earlier in the same book. I have been crucified with Christ. In other words, when Jesus flesh was on that cross, by my faith in his action, my flesh was on that cross. And when that flesh starts talking again, you know it will. I'm telling you something, I got the same stuff you got, and I don't care what super Christian you look up to, what holy man of God, some wonderful preacher you know who you've been listening to on TV or radio for the last 30 years, they got flesh. And you do too. And every single one of us have the same requirement. Crucify it. Put that flesh back up on the cross. And when it starts talking and and you got to look at it, point right at it and say, no, no, that's the flesh. The spirit wouldn't talk like that. The spirit doesn't think like that's the flesh. You look at that flesh, you say, flesh, you're a dead man. You get back up on that cross where you belong. You a dead man. Dead men don't tell me where to go. Dead men don't get to drive the car. Huh? Dead men don't get to decide the decisions that we make in this life. Dead men don't have influence. Flesh, you a dead man. I crucify. I have been crucified with Christ. And Paul said it like this. Nevertheless, I live. So I got this one part of me that's crucified. I got this other me that's alive and well, born of God. That's my spirit. That's who I am. And the spirit of God in me is the same spirit that overcomes the world. Amen. Amen. And if that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in me, he will quicken this mortal body. And I'll win the tug of war every time. Every time. But you can't look to the flesh for the strength that only comes from the spirit. It's like picking teams. If you're the one picking teams... And you got a bunch of people out there on the field. Um, how many of you know that the weakling, the, the little 85-pound skin and bone kid, he's not typically the first one that gets picked. Why? People want strength on their side. 
But when you're picking teams, don't pick the flesh. It's weak. It's weak. No strength. Come on, choose the spirit. The spirit of God in you. I was thinking this morning about a man named Samson. You remember him? We've got this picture in our head of, of how strong and physically, physically stacked this guy was. You know, not an ounce of body fat on him, six foot six, muscle bound. But do you realize in the book of Judges across his whole life, there's not one reference to his physical stature? The only thing we see over and over and over again is the spirit of the Lord came on him. The spirit of the Lord came mightily on him. The spirit of God came on him and he beat a thousand men. He killed a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. The spirit of the Lord came on him and he killed 30 Philistines. The spirit of the Lord came on him and he lifted the city gates. The spirit of the Lord came on him. I mean, over and over and over again. It's the spirit that was the source of the strength. That helps dudes that look like me. And, and to be honest, I think he probably looked more like this because, because if it was physical strength that did it, it wouldn't be miraculous. That's right. But it was the spirit that came on him. The spirit of the Lord came on him and he killed a lion with his bare hands. But do you realize in, in the course of his story, he kills a lion. On one hand, he kills 30 Phil- Philistines. On another, he kills a thousand. Like I said, he lifts up these city gates This man was so strong when the Spirit of the Lord came on him to do that. Killed a thousand dudes at one time, but couldn't fight off one woman. One woman. When you look back at his life, his first words in Scripture were, Father, I have seen a woman in Timnah. Get her for me. That marriage ended disastrously, literally with people being burned and 30 dead groomsmen. It was not a good party. And then the Bible talks to us about him visiting the harlot and finally ends up in the bed of Delilah. Oh yeah, he's strong when it comes to fighting these Philistines. But one woman, what is that? That's flesh. And I, I promise you this, the same spirit of God and the same strength that was on him to fight those Philistines was available yeah. to fight her. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> but when you look to the flesh, hmm? no strength, no strength. Come on. We're going to get our eyes on the spirit of God. Stand up on your feet. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.